Okay, what's up guys? Welcome back from our, our short and sharp break. Hope you enjoyed that first uh, special topic on mental health and I do wish we had more time on that. This one will be somewhat related, um, although uh, a distinct um, perspective on um, issues that confront us as we are uh, growing up and uh, maturing in life. So please open in the chat the uh, attached PDF. Uh, you're gonna wanna have these verses in front of you. You're gonna wanna uh, follow along with some of the quotes and um, you definitely want one of these guys. Cause as Ty said, a wise man once said uh, a long time ago that the faintest ink is stronger than the best memory. So if you write something down, uh, there's a chance that you'll be able to get back to it even if and when you forget it. So get your outline. This is discipleship during emerging adulthood, all right? So we're gonna break down what that title means, but discipleship during emerging adulthood. Now, uh, discipleship uh, just means that there is a, a learning that needs to happen. There's a training that needs to happen. There's a particular following of Christ that needs to happen throughout our whole life, but that takes on a particular form and a particular emphasis at, at various points in our life. Um, so that's what discipleship means. We're all called to be not just believers in Christ, but disciples of Christ, right? That's how the uh, gospel of Matthew ends. Uh, go make disciples. And if you're going to make disciple, you got to be a disciple. So a disciple is a learner. And there's a particular learning we want to talk about today that has arisen because of a societal, cultural phenomenon. Um, we don't have time to get into all the factors of why this uh, space has opened up in, um, in life, but it's called emerging adulthood. And that is the time between adolescence and adulthood. And so you can think 18 to 25, um, you know, back, back in the day, uh, used to be people um, went to work earlier, got married earlier, got their license earlier, served in the military earlier, had children earlier. Um, and, and society thought of those things as growing up. Now, whether or not they were truly growing up, they were considered markers of adulthood, right? Markers of maturity all involved um, responsibility, uh, taking care of others, sacrifice, uh, those sorts of things. Um, and there is a widespread generational characteristic now where those markers, traditional markers of, of adulthood and maturity are being delayed. And so people call it delayed adulthood. That's kind of looking at it from the negative uh, point of view. From the positive point of view, we may just call it emerging adulthood. Now we're not here to arbitrate whether it's a positive or negative development, um, but maybe it is a good thing that people are, are taking a little bit longer to grow up if, if they're learning how to be disciples during this period of time, all right? So we're not advocating for a return to the industrial revolution times, you know, when kids got out there in the factories when they were 10 and were selling papers, newspapers, you know, when they were 12. So we're not against this, uh, you know, we're not specifically against this kind of delay, but we want to learn how to live into that as disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ, and learn what we need to learn so that we're not delaying our human maturity, even if we're not um, checking off these kind of outward accomplishment boxes, we're not on pause in terms of our human development, okay? And we're going to 
break this fellowship down into three questions. What is the issue? Why is it important? And what should I do about it? So if you look at your outline, that's basically what we've got here. Three questions. What's the issue? Um, why is that important? Or what is the issue with the issue? And what should I do about it? Okay, so um, you'll notice at the very top, we've got a kind of a theme verse, Hebrews 6.1, and that says, let us be brought on to maturity. Okay, so this fellowship is, is essentially about maturity. And we're going to see that spiritual maturity is based on and develops with human maturity. Okay, so that will be our second point. We'll, we'll, you know, that's that's really where I have a big burden that you cannot, cannot have spiritual maturity if you do not have human maturity. And so similar in a similar way to what Stephen Bryan were just talking about, um, there's a relationship, but there's also a, a sort of independence between obviously our spiritual health and our mental health, right? They interact, but the difference, you can't different, you cannot fix mental problems with pray reading or, or prayer. And in the same way, you cannot fix a human immaturity by reading the Bible. Um, now, eventually we'll get into how they interact um, and the, the full fellowship on how they interact is beyond our scope today. But a big point will be, if we're not humanly mature, we will not be able to experience spiritual, spiritual maturity, no matter how much we read the Bible, okay? Okay, so let's look at um, what is the issue. So I'll just, I'll have to read some of these verses. I wish we could uh, read them together, but um, you can read them out loud uh, as I read them if you're on mute. Okay, so the first verse is 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Now check this verse out. I love this verse. Paul is talking and he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. Since I have become a man, I have done away with childish things, okay? So Paul is saying, you know, he used to be a child, and now he's a man, he's mature. Um, and along with being a child and being a mature adult, there comes a certain way of speaking, thinking, and reasoning. And Paul is basically implying that we need to reach maturity, okay? So... In 2013, a book came out called Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. Anybody read that book? Yeah, probably not. Uh, but it, it came out in 2013, uh, right around you know the time when that, that, uh, that term adulting came into play, came into vogue. And I know, you know, anyone who ever used it has always kind of used it in a sort of self-deprecating and ironic way, right? Paid my taxes, I'm adulting. I earned my shirt, I'm adulting, right? I uh, made my own breakfast, I'm adulting. So I know we kind of use that in, in a, an ironic way. But, but nonetheless, the book came out in 2013 with 468 easy-ish steps. Now, the funny thing is in 2018, the second edition of the book came out and it was adulting, how to become a grown-up in... 535 easy-ish steps. So uh, the author added some steps <laughs> to adulting. Um, so anyways, that's kind of funny. Now, I want to make a big clarification here at the beginning, and that is I'm not talking about what age you should be when you get married, when you get your license, when you move out, when you get your you know career job, and when you have kids. There, There's different views on that, obviously, and um, 
that's that's beyond the scope of today's discussion. The point of today's discussion is whether or not you've checked these outward kind of traditional uh, markers of, of maturity and adulthood, whether or not you've checked, so, checked those boxes, you need to be undergoing inward human development, okay? That's the maturity we're talking about. Okay, now, um, like I said, you know, those markers of maturity, the, they traditionally involve caring for somebody else, um, you know, and responsibility with somebody else's interests in mind. And so traditionally, how it's worked under society is you work, and then you retire, right? And then when you retire, you relax, you have fun, you focus on your, you focus on yourself, you move to a pleasant, you know, temperate environment, and you golf, you go to the beach, you read books, you know, maybe you write a memoir, I don't know. And what, what's kind of happening now is people want to move that time period of no responsibility and relaxation and fun before working life. And so this is kind of the shift that's happening rather than work and then have fun, let's, you know, let's shift that to have fun then work. And so that's kind of the generational shift we're talking about. In the 20s, a lot of people have the thought that, you know, that's the time for me to explore, have fun, travel, work at a coffee shop, live, live the bohemian, bohemian lifestyle. Why would you settle down? Why would you get a big job? Why would you, you know, strap on the ball and chain and like, and have commitments? That's the best time to have fun and travel and explore and just relax. And all that stuff can wait to your thirties. So that's kind of the general shift we're generational shift we're talking about. And, you know, if, if I, posited this to you as a problem, you may think that's not a problem at all. That sounds ideal. That's exactly how I want my life. I want my 20s to be zero responsibility, pure fun. And yes, I'll get a job and get married and have kids in my 30s. I'll do all of that, you know, in my 30s. Okay. And maybe the concept is being an adult is not fun. Right? Does anyone think that? Give me a little nod of the head if you think, who wants to grow up and be an adult? It's that means no fun, right? And your your maybe your view of an adult is boring, tired, and grumpy, right? And who wants to be that? Okay, that is not adulthood. Adulthood is more fun than adolescence because there's deeper joys and greater fulfillment. Okay, and if if your view of an adult is boring, tired and grumpy, probably what you have in mind is an old child. You don't have in mind a mature adult. You have in mind someone who's older, but not mature. And so they're complaining, they haven't found fulfillment, they're still focused on themselves, and they haven't made the shift from a self-centered existence where they're delaying responsibility, pushing it off to try and max out the fun and therefore, as they're not able to do that, they get tired, old, and grumpy. That's not a that's not a mature adult. A mature adult has experienced greater fulfillment, deeper joys, higher pleasures, and those come paradoxically not when they're focused on themselves, but when they make the shift from the big me life to an other-centered life. So, what we need and what we're going to be talking about today, our fleeting time, is the Copernican revolution of the heart. You know what the Copernican revolution is, right? And you guys are 
supposed to be you know, learning these things, right? The Copernican revolution is the realization that everything in the universe does not revolve around planet Earth and the highest developed life on planet Earth, human beings, right? We are not the center of the cosmos. We revolve around a sun. So the heliocentric theory, right? That's Copernicus, Copernium, whatever the guy's name was, Copernicus, right? Um, we need that kind of revolution of the heart. Our life ultimately in maturing go, undergoes that paradigm shift of it doesn't revolve around me and what I want. It revolves around others. And when we make that shift, that is human development. That is human maturity. And that is the first step to deeper joys, greater fulfillments. Okay. So that's what we're talking about. It's counterintuitive that joy and fulfillment come by aiming your life at something other than yourself. That's counterintuitive. That joy and fulfillment come by aiming your life. What are you aiming your life at? Right? We think aim at me so I can have fun and I can have a fulfill fulfilled life. And the more you buy into that, the less fulfillment you will have, the less satisfaction you will have. That's reasoning like a child, like Paul said. That's thinking like a child. So that's counterintuitive. You know, Jesus said, he who loses his life for my sake shall fill in the blank. He who loses his life for my sake shall find it. That is what we're talking about. Find it. You find your life. And that's the soul life. That's the suke, psychological life, which is the source of our pleasure. The soul is the organ of enjoyment and expression. And you find that paradoxically by not aiming at it, by aiming at somebody else, okay? And, and again, we're talking first and foremost humanly, and we're going to talk about in a second spiritually. Why is this a problem? Three problems, okay? We're still on number one. What's the issue? Problem number one is that after 16, the attention that society pays to maturity and the process of maturation of an individual shifts to outward material things, okay? So we begin to mark maturity as good grades, good job, good stuff. You got stuff, you got grades, you got, you know, you're checking boxes, we automatically associate that with human maturity. It's not true, it's not true, okay? You can get married, can't get a job, can't have kids and be immature humanly. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that the long dependency that our culture has you know, kind of developed into that long period of dependency where we depend on our parents and others longer, it makes it harder to grow up. So to kind of break that tie, right? If, if you know, if you're still having mom and dad pay for things, it's and they want to, it's hard to hard to cut the umbilical cord, right? So that longer period of dependency, it makes it harder to mature and become a self-sufficient um, adult. And number three is screen time hinders human development. Screen time hinders human development. The more time you spend as a teenager and a 20-year-old on your on your phone, interacting with screens and video games, the harder it is to mature. And I don't have the time to get into this, but 
I just want to give you a few stats on this. Uh, um, need to um, not spend a long time on this, but there's uh, a lot of research by a, um, a sociologist, psychologist named Jean Twinja. She wrote a book called iGen, and she catalogs a lot of this uh, there. If you want to check that out, it's called the book iGen. Um, and she talks about 18 year olds are acting now, uh, acting more like 15 year olds today. So the 15, the 18 year old today is the equivalent of a 15 year old 10 years ago. And a lot of it comes down to screen times. From 2000 to 2015, the number of teens who got together regularly with friends in real life activity, in person hanging out dropped by more, more than 40%. And iGeners have had more time than any other generation before them for leisure. And, and she asked the question, so what are they doing with all their extra free time? This is what she says. So what are they doing with all that time? They're on their phone, in their room, alone, and often distressed. So that hinders human maturity and development. Um, it's just kind of an escapism. Uh, video games goes into that, and it's possible to you know, develop um, an addiction to that sort of um, lifestyle and behavior that ultimately prevents human development. Um, excessive gaming, here's another stat, puts a person at risk of lower educational career attainment, problems with peers and lower social skills, okay? So let's round out this point with, here's the big point on number one, don't throw away your 20s. Say that on mute to yourself. Don't Throw away your 20s. This is not developmental downtime. This is the most important decade for your entire adult life, your 20s. Eight out of, eight out of 10 major decisions that determine what your life will be and how your life will be, eight out of 10 of those decisions are made during your 20s. And so if you think, I'm just going to delay adulthood and get serious in my 30s, you are setting yourself up for a lack of fulfillment, a lack of success, a lack of meaningful relationships. And when you wake up in your 30s, you may realize, you know, people have said the millennial midlife, midlife crisis for a millennial is not buying a red sports car. It's realizing the kind of life I want is now the kind of life I can't have. The kind of marriage I want, the kind of kids I want, the kind of relationship I want my kids to have with my grandparents. There's, you know, there's a bi biological clock on both ends, your grandparents and your clock. So anyways, claim your 20s. Claiming your 20s is the simplest yet most transformative thing you can do. It's the simplest yet most transformative thing you can do for your work life, for your marriage life, for the world, and for the church. Claim your 20s claim them. Okay. And we're going to look at what do I do? How do I do that at the end here? But that is the first big point. I wish I could spend 20 more minutes on that <laughs> for the twenties. Don't think that 30 is the new 20. 30 is still 30. All right. 20 is still 20. There's no replacing them. Your brain caps off its second and last growth spurt in your twenties. Your personality changes more during your twenties than any other time in your life. Half of Americans have met, married their spouse by age 30. So it happens in your 20s. Female fertility peaks at age 28. 
So do not think your 20s are developmental downtime. Now is the time to determine who you are and how you're gonna how you're gonna get there. And of course, the problem is our culture has trivialized the defining decade of adulthood. Our culture has trivialized the defining decade of adulthood and said, put it off, have fun, explore, and you know, get serious later. So that's the issue. That's the issue. Maturity isn't something that just happens as you grow up. It's something that must be consciously chosen. You grow older, whether you not whether or not you want it, right? And nobody wants it, right? But you choose whether or not you mature. Okay, that's the issue. Okay. Why is that important? Why does it matter? What's the big deal? You know, why not? Like, what's so wrong with that? Okay. This brings us to question number two. Why is it important? And we've got three points here. Point A is the fulfillment of God's purpose depends on mature believers. Okay, let me read that again. Why is it a problem if I don't mature in my 20s? Why is it a problem? Well, because the problem is the fulfillment of God's purpose depends on mature believers. Okay, our verses are Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. It says, until we all arrive at the oneness of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son of God, at a full-grown man, that's maturity. God's purpose is maturity. Now, of course, this is spiritual maturity right here. Numbers 1, 2, and 3 says, Take the sum of all the assembly of the children of Israel from 20 years old and upward, all who are able to go forth for military service in Israel. Number them by their companies. That's why the book of Numbers is called Numbers, because it is a numbering of the effective strength of God's people and the effective strength, the military is measured by maturity. The military is measured by maturity. And God said, find out how many people we got who can constitute our army and it's 20 years old and up. And what that means is I've got this little call out quote here. It says, if we would be in the army to fight for God's move, we need to mature. Only when such an army has been formed will God be able to move on earth for his purpose. Apart from an army formed of mature ones, there is no way for God to move. Okay, so do you see how the fulfillment of God's purpose depends on mature believers? The purpose itself is maturity. And the move to accomplish the, the purpose happens with mature believers. Okay. So that means if no one is maturing, then what about God's purpose? If, if, if everyone is punting on their 20s, then we're, what we're saying is God's purpose is being put on pause for 10 years every decade, every generational decade, God's purpose is being put on pause because God's purpose is maturity and it's carried out by mature individuals. Okay, look at the second point. Our spiritual value to God is determined by our maturity. And I've got this little chart here for you um, just to make it easy, but Leviticus 27 talks about the valuation of person. So when you devoted yourself to God, when you devoted your life to God, you consecrated yourself to God, God put a value on that consecration. Did you know that? Your Everyone's value to God is, is different and it's based on your maturity level. And so look at the chart. The most valuable 
human consecration to God is males 20 to 60. Now don't take this in a gender, biological gender way today. This is a picture uh, of strong, mature believers, okay? So please do not get into the realm of biological gender here. Females are definitely included in this male 20 to 60 bracket. But what it says is it's that group of people that is most valuable to God. And so again, if those people don't exist, God's move suffers, God's purpose is on pause, and the church uh, is weak. The church is weak in God's purpose. Okay, so we want to reach that maturity level so that our life is valuable to God. And when we consecrate our life to God, it has maximum meaning to him. Okay, point C says spiritual maturity requires, and this is a huge point here today, spiritual maturity requires and develops in proportion with human maturity. Okay? Can everyone say amen to that on mute? Spiritual maturity requires and develops in proportion with human maturity. How do we see this? Look at our first verse. Luke 2.52 says, Jesus advanced in wisdom and stature and in the grace manifested in him before God and men. So I thought Jesus was wisdom incarnate. So why is he advancing in wisdom? Well, I've got this little call-out quote here. The wisdom of the Savior's deity was revealed in proportion to the measure of his bodily growth. So as Jesus matured humanly, you know what was manifested? More wisdom, more grace, more God. It, de it developed in proportion with his human development. And it's the same with us. And so when you get to Hebrews 1.3, I love this verse. It says, Jesus is the effulgence of God's glory and the impress, I love this, the impress of his substance. But do you know what the Greek word for impress is there? It's character. Jesus is the character of God's substance. In other words, all that is in God, the constituents of his being, the totality of his attributes, what he is in his nature, you know, the, the Greek word character literally means like a press, and that's why we translate it as an impress, but it's like a seal, you know, like a, 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 a signet ring impressing on a wax uh, and leaving, you know, a piece of wax and leaving a seal, leaving a mark. That's what it means. A character is a mark. And what you saw with Jesus was the character that expressed God's being. That's what it means. He's the impress of God's substance. You looked at how Jesus lived, his human character, which he developed, and eventually, as a mature man, you saw God's substance impressed in human character. And so I'm not talking about, again, markers of maturity in, this, in the terms of just success points, like I'm smart, I'm, I study a lot. You know, you know, diligence is part of this, but we're also talking about the depth of our soul, our empathy, our compassion, our kindness, our humility, our broadness of perspective, our fineness in detail, our emotional stability. All of these things are human development and maturity. And that human maturity lays the base for the divine expression. 
So if you do not have human development and human maturity, you can't reach spiritual maturity. And so we got a picture of this in Exodus 26 with the tabernacle. It says, you shall make the boards for the tabernacle of acacia wood standing up and you shall overlay the boards with gold. So we've got two substances, wood and gold. Gold typifies God's divine substance and his divine nature. And the wood symbolizes our human, our humanity, and our character. And it's the, the wood that upholds the gold. So if there's not wood, if there's not proper wood, then God's divine nature has nothing to, you know, um, be upheld by. Okay, let's look at these two quotes here before we move into point three here. But um, I just wish I had more time on this. This is such a big point here. So look at, the, look at this first quote. It says, a person's usefulness, the things that can be entrusted to him, the responsibilities he can bear, and the things he is able to accomplish all together depend on his character. The destiny of our usefulness to the Lord hinges on our character. So does that surprise you? That's it's quite a shocking statement. It doesn't depend on our, you know, whatever else you would have put in that blank for it depends on my, the amount I've read the Bible, the amount I've prayed, right? Even the amount I've been transformed. Again, that's absolutely necessary, but it's, it, it rests on your character, which you have to build up in non-spiritual ways. You have to develop it. You have to mature. And we'll get into how, what do I do about that in just one second. So the destiny of our usefulness to the Lord hinges on our character. So let's build it up. Let's take our 20s seriously. And, and of course, that doesn't mean we can't ever laugh. We can't ever have fun. But underneath that, there is a drive and a, a seriousness about developing humanly. Okay, look at the second one here. This is a really important one. It says, in the beginning, the person who loves the Lord often seeks after life. Now, we've been talking in the Gospel of John, life meets every need. But that means that's not exactly every, every need. That's every spiritual need. Doesn't mean, you know, of course, it doesn't meet every mental health need like we just saw. And it doesn't meet every need in terms of human development. So listen to this. It says, in the beginning, the person who loves the Lord often seeks after life. Gradually, he realized that it is his character that limits his dispensing of the Lord to others. Then he changes the way he conducts himself. That is, he begins to develop his character. At first, this kind of character building is mostly man-made. As he grows in the Lord and the life in him becomes strengthened, his character is slowly brought into life. Eventually, eventually the life within him is mingled with his outward character. And at this point, his outward virtues come from his inward life. Isn't that an amazing quote? So the point of this quote and the point of the second point is we need to develop humanly um, during emerging adulthood. Don't punt on your 20s, right? This is the defining decade for your entire adult life. And what we're after is inward development, not necessarily just outward success markers, but we're developing in our capacity our compassion, our emotional stability, our emotional maturity, our ability to handle responsibility, 
right? Someone asks us to do something, we don't just say, ah, like, I don't really want to do that. Like, that just sounds hard and I don't want to get involved and I'd rather just not, you know, like that's where we all start out. But a mature adult takes that up as a challenge and says, I'm going to do it the best and make a big difference. And that's the kind of person that ultimately is really useful to the Lord. Of course, overlaying on that, the divine experience of life and transformation and being built up with others. But as a base, we need that human maturity. Okay, real quick, let's go on to our last one. We'll just spend a couple minutes on this. What do I do about it? Okay, we've got three verses. Let no one despise your youth, but be a pattern to the believers. Okay, so first point is don't despise your youth. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Don't despise your 20s. Of course, normally when we talk about this, we think, you know, don't let other people, you know, despise you because of how you act. And of course, that's true too. But first point is don't despise your youth. Take up the opportunity to mature, okay? So take it seriously, right? And again, don't be like a person who never smiles. I'm not saying that, but but be developing. And again, you will find more joy. You'll be a person who smiles more and in a, in a, in a, uh, a fuller way, a more fulfilled way. Okay, 2 Peter 1.5 says, adding all diligence, supply bountifully in your faith virtue. So what do I do about it? I need to be diligent to supply my to supply virtue myself. This is talking about you supplying bountifully. It's the same phrase as in Philippians 1:19, the bountiful supply of the spirit, but this time you're the one supplying it, not the spirit. You supply virtue in your faith. And so the point here is we need to be diligent to practice these things. And that takes us to Philippians 4, 8 through 9. If there is any virtue, take account of these things. So take account of it, pay attention to it, notice it, ponder it, think about it, consider it, and then practice these things. So, you know, Paul says here in a kind of a summary way, any virtue that falls under the category of human development and maturity <clears throat> for the base of divine maturity and God's move, take account of it, right? Emotional stability, take account of it right? Um, respecting others' viewpoints and being able to listen and understand their perspective. Take account of that. Not insisting on your way, right? Take account of that. Humility to accept the advice of an older brother or sister. Take account of that. Faithfulness, right? Showing up when no one notices, when it's hard. Take account of that. Sacrificing, right? Take account of that. You just fill out whatever maturity, take account of it and then practice it, practice it. So to end, here are just 10 ways to begin practicing. And I'll just round off with this. We don't have a lot of time, but the point here is maturity is actually, uh, maturity isn't easy, right? Maturity isn't easy, but it's also not complicated. It just takes practice and it takes a desire. So let's look at these real quick. Number one, wake up. That's the desire. We need to let the Lord wake up that desire for maturity within us and desire it. I want to mature. I don't want to stay like this. I don't want to stay the same year after year humanly. And then, of course, spiritually. Number two, look up. Find patterns of mature people in your life and 
take note, like look, look at the kind of joys and fulfillments in life that they have and take them as a pattern and see how did they get there? Number three, give up. Now, I'm not talking about give up the, the fight for maturity. I'm talking about giving up means sacrifice. To mature, you have to make sacrifices. You don't get to choose whether you will sacrifice. You only get to choose what you will sacrifice. Now, part of that sacrifice is your time. Part of that sacrifice is your video games. Part of that sacrifice is your focus on yourself, right? But to give those things up frees you up to mature. Number four, sign up. Sign up. Commit somewhere. Commit to something, right? Sign up for some service. Sign up, for, sign up to do something. And commit. You won't mature unless you commit. Show up. Faithfulness. Once you sign up, show up. So that, you know, maturity is um, the result of a multitude of no's, a multitude of no's for a few overwhelming yeses, right? To say yes to one thing, you have to say no to a lot of little things. So that's the sacrifice. That's the, that's the commitment. That's the faith, faithfulness. You know, in life, we commit. Soldiers, they enlist. Students, they enroll. Couples, they get engaged. How odd would it be to set, tell somebody you love them and never commit? Wouldn't you question the love? I mean, you want to learn, but you never enroll in school. Wouldn't you question the desire to learn? I mean, it's like that guy's not that serious. Spiritually, it's the same. We have to commit to mature, and then we show up. Six, listen up, right? Take the advice of older brothers and sisters. Don't think you know it all, right? Fellowship means I need help. And practically means show me how to do it, not just come do it for me, but give me advice, give me fellowship. And, you know, that begins uh, the process of maturity. Number seven, pick up, pick up. This is to care for somebody else. Again, you cannot mature. Well, let me, let me uh, read it like this. I found this quote from a psychologist that said, um, you cannot mature until somebody else is more important than you. You cannot mature until somebody else is more important than you. So pick somebody up to care for, right? Of course, humanly, that's, you know, eventually a spouse, eventually it's a, a child, but it's also people who need our help, people who need our care, spiritually or humanly. You can't mature unless you pick up someone uh, else who you think is more important than you. Number eight, open up honesty, right? Confront the depths of your heart in, in an honest way and, and open up to others. Be real with them, right? Uh, be genuine and, and stop hiding. That will help you mature. Number nine, step up. Courage, right? Stand up for something. Step up for what you believe in, all right? If you have to pay a price for it and um, suffer for something you believe in, that will help you mature. Number 10, get up. So when you fall, when it's a tough, right, fight, you get back up, you develop resilience, and that will help you mature. So unfortunately, we're about out of time, but, you know, the what should I do about it? There may be things you're thinking in your, in your mind right now, like, you know, this guy knows nothing. Why didn't he mention this point? Great. Do it, right? If you know a better way to mature, do it. Great. I'm glad you, I'm glad you know how to mature. So are you doing it?
right? So these are just a sample of, of some ways that I just kind of brainstormed. Um, but if, you know, if there's ways that, you know, like that are helpful, then great practice that fellowship about that. And, you know, I can't wait to see your human development and maturity. That's the point. The point is not that I have the exact way to mature, but we need to do something about it. And it basically comes down to practicing uh, in some way to develop humanly so that God's purpose is not on pause, right? And he can use us to accomplish his purpose. But it starts with human development and maturity. So that's it for today. I know that was fast and I know it was, uh, it was brief and we covered a lot of material, but um, I think this is a really big uh, burden in, in us today that um, all of us would, would develop and mature so God's purpose could go on. So please pray about this and consider this more and let us all uh, go on to maturity.